May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Today we're going to have the first listener email discussion here for a very good question that maybe many of you who are listening have or maybe have already been through. And this is from Zara. Zara writes, Hey, Dr. Michael, I'm a very big fan of yours and listen to your podcast every time. I have fibromyalgia myself, just newly diagnosed in May 2021. Now I have gotten pregnant. Unfortunately, there is not much information about my disease and being pregnant. Do you happen to have something about what I can do to have as much of a normal pregnancy as possible, let alone tips and advice as to how I can lessen symptoms during pregnancy? I'm at my six weeks and my stomach seems to be rumbling all the time. I do not know what to eat because I feel awful and beginning to be depressed again. I hope you can enlighten me and some fibro patients like me on how to survive pregnancy with fibromyalgia. Thank you very much in advance and more power. Mom in Norway. Well, thank you so much for reaching out to me, Zara, and I hope you get a chance to listen to the podcast. This was sent to me on November 24th, and I'm recording this podcast on New Year's Day, January 1st, so sorry for the delay, and I assume now you're hopefully around 10 or 11 weeks by the time you get a chance to hear this, and I did get a chance to put together some research to hopefully help enlighten you and help enlighten listeners who may be pregnant, may be thinking of getting pregnant someday, or who went through pregnancy and now can help use this information to help get better insight on what they experienced. Now, just as a couple important reminders, if you've never listened to the podcast before, my name is Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician. I am also an internal medicine doctor that's a specialist in the non-operative management of adults. I'm also a clinical lipidologist, and a lifestyle medicine physician. Now, I am not an obstetrician, but I do take care of a lot of women before they're pregnant and after they're pregnant. But to be honest, often during pregnancy, I don't get a chance to see them even if they have fibromyalgia. I think that is just something that they already have so many visits and I don't always get a chance to connect And I think it's really important, especially if you're somebody who's had a lot of struggles with fibromyalgia, to strongly consider seeing your primary fibromyalgia physician to help make sure you're getting through pregnancy well. This is can be such a trying problem, and it's so important. So let me also say, too, that Fibromyalgia is not something your obstetrician probably has much training, if 
any at all outside of just by their own patient experience of taking care of fibromyalgia patients, but probably haven't had any formal education or training and probably aren't going to give a lot of specific ideas on how to manage this. This is a challenging problem even for many primary care physicians, trying to find a good primary care doctor, a good physician to help manage your fibromyalgia is a extreme challenge. If you listen to the last podcast by Teresa, when she was talking about advice for those who have fibromyalgia, she said, well, first, I'd highly recommend getting a doctor who really knows how to treat fibromyalgia well. And that can be a challenge. I know that you're in Norway, and I don't know how comfortable your current physician is in treating fibromyalgia. So you're right. When you look at what do we know about fibromyalgia and pregnancy, there is not a lot of great information out there. So we are going to talk about one study that was done looking at pregnancy and fibromyalgia. This one study was looking at women who were in their third trimester and looked at how much of an impact fibromyalgia was, and then they compared it to people who didn't have fibromyalgia. And what they found was that, unfortunately, most described a worsening of their symptoms during pregnancy. The number of painful areas was higher, particularly in the legs, lower back, and abdomen being the greatest. The mean symptom severity score also worsened. That includes problems with fatigue waking unrefreshed, and cognitive symptoms like focus, concentration, memory problems were much higher in those who had fibromyalgia. When they looked specifically at differences between those with fibromyalgia while they were pregnant in the third trimester, 80% reported significant levels of fatigue versus 27% in those who did not have fibromyalgia. There was a difference in perceived muscle weakness with 80% in those who had fibromyalgia compared to 27% in those who did not have fibromyalgia. 75% reported headaches versus about 25%. So uh, chest pain also was noticeably more. Um, Abdominal pain was about 75% as well compared to about 22%. And nausea, 68% versus 30%. This is looking at women who were being assessed in the third trimester. When they looked at the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire, which I've talked about on a previous podcast, the score was 72 in those who had fibromyalgia versus 27. Under 20 is what's considered in the normal range, and over 60 is considered high. Over 80 is extremely high. This is a score from 0 to 100. A score of 27 in those who did not have fibromyalgia shows that there were some obvious mild struggles. Most who are pregnant have some struggles with some fatigue and weakness, but it's usually in the much more mild range. They also looked at a called the WIGMA delivery expectancy and experience questionnaire measures. What this does is it looks at the fear of childbirth, and the score goes from 0 to 165, with greater than 85 defined as a significant fear. And those who had fibromyalgia reported that this score was 89 on average compared to 32. So there is a huge 
increase in the amount of fear of childbirth that's coming up, that anticipation. And as I talk about in my book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain, that this is another example of catastrophization, catastrophizing, making something going to be the worst case scenario, thinking about the worst possible thing. And this applies to other things like those who are much more afraid about having pain when they go to the dentist are more likely to have pain. And I think this is this increased anxiety, this heightened awareness that happens for many people who have fibromyalgia. They also looked at measures of anxiety and scoring of that and showed that in those who had fibromyalgia, the score was doubled. And looking at some specific measures, low back pain is very common and it's very disruptive. It's very hard to do things. And that's something that should be treated. And again, reviewing that fatigue was very common and also should be treated. And as we've talked about in other podcasts, there are many factors that contribute to fatigue. The authors in this study felt that definitely sensory amplification uh, is likely an underlying pathologic mechanism and, of course, should be addressed. That's part of the whole fibromyalgia central pain amplification syndrome. But it's not just an heightened pain, but there's also a presence of increased anxiety and depression. Now, from my experience, the anxiety is higher. I find there's a high level of comorbidity of ADHD, but the depression isn't necessarily high when I try to tease this out with patients. It's not that there's usually an increased uh, lack of self-worth, that you're worthless, and that you don't enjoy anything, which are the two main features of real depression, but it's really a higher level of frustration. I'm so tired. I am so run down. I can't focus. I can't concentrate. I'm more anxious. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. So that's something to be uh, aware of. So symptom severity score, which and physical impairment score also increased the high prevalence of fear with childbirth. And the author said psychiatric support is so important. And that's why when we look at what kind of things can you do when you're pregnant, we want to have healthy lifestyles. And that's why ideally, if you're going to be considering getting pregnant, having the good sleep hygiene, getting any comorbid sleep disorders addressed and treated if they're present, such as restless leg syndrome or sleep apnea. We talked about how weight loss is so important and maintaining a healthy weight is so important when you are pregnant. It's so important to stay active before you're pregnant and also to continue being active while you're pregnant. If you are extremely sedentary, starting up an exercise program while you're pregnant is something that you might want to do gradually, and that's something you want to do gradually anyways if you have fibromyalgia, because if you do too much too fast, 
that can worsen things. Another area that we looked at are the roles of medications. And when we look at what are the data on medications, just a couple that are looked at for treating fibromyalgia include pregabalin, also known as Lyrica, now generic. And what they found in a number of studies that there was no clear signal that this is a problem taking while you're pregnant and pregabalin and gabapentin are essentially the same molecule. There's a prodrug and then there's the active form. But So that's reassuring that you can take that. Duloxetine, brand named Cymbalta, also was shown to have no problems. It was consistent with historic norms. What that meant is that if there may have been problems with some women who had taken this while they were pregnant, but there was no difference comparing that to historic norms. So there was no increased risk. Those are some reassuring things. And now when we look at the effects of studies showing on anxiety, anxiety and stress is that the placenta is susceptible to maternal stress and is a target of epigenetic dysregulation. For those of you who don't know what epigenetic means is that there are factors that can turn on and turn off genes. These are genes that can be very protective and helpful if they're positive stress, good things, good sleep, good exercise, a very healthy diet can help turn on protective genes, but the opposite can affect things. Increased weight gain, poor sleep, increased stress can all turn on genes that can cause more problems. And then with the respect of the child's future development, there are factors leading to severe distress and stress should be handled carefully. The best measures that can be done to help treat these is so important. So as more and more obstetricians are recognizing the role of these treatments, this shift, you know, has been, you know, and it still may occur where some would say, really, I'd rather have you not take those medications that are being helping you but more recognize like, hey, of course, if we didn't have to take a medicine, that would be great. But I recognize that the benefits for you are actually very helpful. Um, when we look at things, we should lo- really look at it from the lens of what are the consequences of not treating these conditions if I have them, if I don't treat my restless leg or ADHD I actually am putting myself at higher risk. People who have these things may be at higher risk of self-medicating with maladaptive behaviors. That means more likely to eat more unhealthy. At every age group, people who have untreated ADHD, which occurs often with with restless leg, but also with fibromyalgia, are much more likely to be heavier and For many people, and I've had this more anecdotally in patients who have a history of ADHD and pregnancy and fibromyalgia, is that they were much more likely to gain uh, higher levels of weight beyond what they should have while they were pregnant. And we know that there are major consequences of excess weight gain while you're pregnant. There also is going to be a higher level of feeling overwhelmed and feeling overwhelmed that leading to higher stress as a lot of those scores with increased anxiety and and, and, and it's more and more a, a recognition of 
ADHD and fibromyalgia, which we'll talk about in the next series that I'm planning with an interview with one of the United States leading psychiatrists in the world of ADHD. And we, we talk about that. But treatment of that is very effective. It helps with managing your pregnancy and also your confidence after delivery that I can handle the transition to caring for a newborn, the natural getting up, waking up with breastfeeding or other duties like changing diapers, et cetera, can be increased stressful. But that idea of being scared with childbirth is understandable, especially if there's a higher level of ADHD and anxiety and other conditions. But treatment of those can be very helpful. Also, encourage you to eat as close to a whole food plant-based diet. When you asked Zara, what should I be eating, is, is if you can eat as much of the unprocessed whole grains, that's like brown rice, barley, um, oats and oatmeal, along with all the different types of fruit, along with all the different types of vegetables, and along with all the different types of legumes, the beans, peas, and lentils with some nuts and seeds, and trying to really limit the processed carbohydrates. 65% of the American diet is processed carbohydrates or the Western diet, and about 25% is animal proteins, the different kinds of meats, fish, chicken, poultry, dairy, and only about 5 to 10% are whole plant-type foods. So if you can shift that into a much higher direction, that's great. And if you did a completely healthy plant-based diet, make sure you do get B12. You likely are taking a prenatal vitamin that would have adequate amounts of B12. And then making sure that you're keeping at a healthy weight. And also make sure you pace yourself with exercise. And make sure that's done consistently throughout. But that can be a major challenge. Another couple things that we can look at with, even though there's not a lot of studies on fibromyalgia, what we have is there are other studies. We're going to talk about one looking at irritable bowel syndrome. What they found is that those who had irritable bowel syndrome, which under the umbrella of fibromyalgia are regional pain syndromes such as migraines and irritable bowel syndrome, chronic low back pain, for example. And what they showed is that in women who were pregnant and had IBS, there were higher rates of preeclampsia. That's a dangerously high blood pressure. There are higher rates of blood clots, higher congenital malformations, and this was more likely thought to be due to higher rates of smokers in those who had IBS, higher rates of obesity, higher rates of hypertension, and chronic interstitial cystitis and fibromyalgia, and higher rates of other psychiatric disorders, of which things like ADHD, anxiety may be one of those. And often anxiety is the predominant symptom of ADHD. And again, looking at that, well, smoking which many people use to help self-medicate their ADHD, which unfortunately there are much better ways to manage your ADHD than using cigarettes because of all the problems that can occur with smoking. And now they very commonly go, well, I just stopped smoking. I, I can't risk that. That, of course, is terrible for my baby. But they then may substitute and often do substitute food. 
and tend to say, hey, I'm not going to watch things as carefully. I'm eating for two and end up eating those more calorie-dense comfort foods, which leads to unexpected or higher than recommended weight gain. So that's something to be mindful of. Another measure of fibromyalgia and expectations during pregnancy is looking at what happens to migraines during pregnancy. And there are some good news with that. In general, migraines improve or, and in some cases, they completely remit in about 60 to 90% of women looking at a group of several studies looking at this. About 10 to 20% were unchanged, about 10 to 30% worsened. I think there's often more problems that I've found if there is more nausea in that first trimester, often with the significant hormone changes that may be a significant issue. And things like the persistent vomiting can be a significant issue. Other coexisting issues such as the ADHD, restless leg syndromes are factors that can play a role. So those can be uh, significantly challenging. For all of these areas, it's just to recognize that Everybody's an individual. Everybody has unique circumstances. For many of you listening, you already have been through pregnancy. And looking back, especially if you were not diagnosed with your fibromyalgia at the time, or even if you were but weren't getting great management, this helps you to understand some of the struggles. One of my patients relates that when she had her children, she was in so much pain with her labor and deliveries. She remembers being in excruciating pain very early in the labor when the nurses were saying to her, wow, you shouldn't be in this much pain, but she just remembers it was the worst pain ever. Now she's doing so much better with her fibromyalgia, and I suspect had she gotten appropriate diagnosis and then appropriate management like she is doing now, she would have gotten much better. I have another patient that I recall who was new to me getting diagnosed and management well. It was doing well and then got pregnant. And unfortunately, she stopped taking the medications and incorporating the healthy lifestyle as consistently as she would. And she had some more struggles that I suspect had she stuck with it. Like many women when they're pregnant, often they stop seeing their regular doctor and focus just on the obstetrics. So I think had we had more regular follow-up and visits during that time, she likely would have struggled less. So to wrap it up, management of fibromyalgia may change as far as how much suffering that you may have during your pregnancy. There may be some of you where you actually feel better, where Those who have migraines have less intensity and less frequency of migraines. There may be parts of the pregnancy, maybe early in the pregnancy, where you have much more nausea, maybe more headaches as hormones are changing more rapidly. There may be more struggles towards the end of pregnancy when you get into problems with more weight gain. So it's so important to incorporate and blend together the best of healthy lifestyle as well as continuing appropriate medications under guidance with your physicians in taking care of this all. Thank you for again joining me on the podcast today. Whether you're going for a walk, 
doing the dishes, going for a car ride somewhere. Whether it's you who have fibromyalgia, whether it's a loved one or family member of someone who has fibromyalgia, or whether you're a physician or medical provider just trying to learn more about fibromyalgia, I hope this has been beneficial to you. If you can, hit the follow or subscribe button. Share this with others wherever you feel appropriate. And if you're interested in supporting the show, look at checking out the book that's available both in print and also in the Audible book form. And again, thank you, and I look forward to having you join us next week as we look at going beyond just surviving but to actually conquering and reversing fibromyalgia. If you'd like to reach out to me, I'd love to hear your feedback. You can send me an email through drmichaellens at gmail.com. And until next week, take good care and go Team Vibram.